This morning I'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 9, starting with verse 36. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with the tanner named Simon. This is the word of the Lord. When we were trying to decide when to start one service, to switch to one service, in our staff meetings. I kept making the case for we should start on Memorial Day weekend and kept arguing for that and saying that was just a good starting point. Everybody will remember that. Some thought beginning of June, I kept saying this is a better one, you'll, you'll remember it. We finally decided and I don't know, a day later something we're walking down the hall and Bob walks by me and goes, you're preaching on Memorial Day. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> he was right. Several weeks ago, uh, some friends of ours here invited us to go to the BAMP Film Festival at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. All these years, Lori and I had never gone to it. If you've gone to it, it's interesting uh, films there. It's just a series of documentaries or pieces of documentaries that they show for two nights. Uh, we went the second night. They bought us tickets, so we really enjoyed going the second night. Uh, showed up the second night and uh, a series of about five documentaries. They all sort of focus on the outdoors, nature, a lot of outdoor adventure kind of films. Uh, really enjoyed the night, enjoyed watching them. There was uh, one about a bunch of ultra marathoners. These people go out and run like 75 miles or 100 miles. There was one about a couple of women who were these remarkable rock climbers uh, who, who just kept at incredible speeds climbing these uh, giant rock faces. There was one about a few men who... Um, took these wild horses and trained them and then rode them all the way from Canada, I mean from Mexico up to Canada, which might not sound like such a big deal, but they rode on paths, on trails that I would not walk on, uh, sitting on top of these wild horses. And I mean, just life-threatening situations, pretty courageous guys. I was thinking when I went home from watching those films, the same thing happened to me that happens to me every time I watch. I don't care if it's films about people with accomplishing incredible things in business or, or people who do incredible things through charities or uh, whatever the case is where people accomplish these exceptional things or do these remarkable things or have these remarkable talents. I go home with kind of this longing to somehow be more extraordinary, somehow to be someone who does something that really matters and something that really stands out. You know, I find myself longing, you know, I really want to start becoming someone who could run 100 miles. I want to do that. 
And then I remember if I drive to Indian back, I get worn out, you know? <laughs> but it sounds so good. I, I want to somehow not just be the average guy stuck in the middle of the crowd. It touches something in me, a longing in me. Uh, the longing often dies quickly because it seems a little hopeless. It seems like somehow to fulfill that longing requires being something that, that few people are. And even if you reach it, it doesn't seem to last very long. I think that's because the world calls us sometimes to, to be extraordinary, to be exceptional, to stand out in ways that really are limited to just a few. There are ways that really are in many ways, even though good, like the men in these films and women in these films, I, I'm not putting them down. I think they were, did, did do remarkable things. I admire their talents and abilities. But those things, again, probably only a few can do. And they're things that the impact of, that the impact even upon them and upon others is pretty temporary. Good, but I don't know if they're the truly extraordinary things that we're called to be a part of or they're meant to fill that longing in us that's kind of deep within all of us. When I go to Scripture, it seems to say that there is a path. There is a path to being somebody who, who participates in that which is extraordinary. That was a, which is exceptional. That which is above and beyond. There's a path to be a part of that. And it lays out this path again and again. One of the places that I loved how it talks about is in Philippians 2. Where it describes the path to being a part of something extraordinary. Is to be someone who is like-minded with Christ. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and purpose with him. It's to not be driven by vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. It's a path that's different than what our world often dangles in front of us. It says you will know what it is to be extraordinary if you can somehow separate yourself from everyone else and put the spotlight on you. If somehow you can attract that spotlight to yourself, you will know what it is to be extraordinary. Scripture says... You want to know what it is to participate in the extraordinary? Then put the spotlight on others and put the spotlight on your God. That's when you'll know what it is to be a part of that, to really enjoy that. I thought of that as I went to this story at the end of Acts chapter 9. Actually, we were kind of going through the book of Acts and chapter 9 was mine. And I didn't want to preach again on the conversion of Paul. That's been preached about a couple of times recently, Dan and Bob both. And I thought, well, I probably don't need a third one of those. And I came to the end of that passage and I thought, man, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with those few little stories there? And as I prayed and I thought about it, I thought maybe that's the point. Maybe after this incredible story about the conversion of Paul, Luke takes us back and he reminds us about this ongoing ministry that just happens. That's happening in a lot of people who, who maybe the world would just call ordinary. But through these ordinary people, God is still accomplishing extraordinary things, as he so often loves to do. So I just want to talk about three of the people in this story. Uh, turn your attention to them a little bit, maybe pull a little bit of information from them. Uh, because it always stands out to me that of the limited you know, words that are given to us in Scripture, the limited words we have in God's revelation to us, he talks about a few people. Why these people? Why draw attention to them? Matter of fact, the people that miracles are performed on, a lot of times we don't even get their name. Most of the time we don't hear their name. Once in a while we get a few details about them, but most of the time we don't even know who they are. 
the, the focus is just this miracle that's performed upon him. But in this passage, this woman Tabitha, for some reason we actually get quite a bit about her. We, not only was a miracle performed on her, but we hear quite a bit about who she was compared to others. So why? Why, why put the spotlight on Tabitha and draw our attention to her? We're told her name was also Dorcas in the Greek. Both Tabitha and Dorcas just mean gazelle. I'm going to use the name Tabitha as I talk about her because that just seems to roll off the tongue a little easier than the other one. Uh, no offense if your name is Dorcas. I didn't mean that. Uh, and we're told about Tabitha. The main thing we're told about her was that she was always doing good and helping the poor. That's the thing that's highlighted about this woman. Always doing good and helping the poor. Matter of fact, the phrase there literally means she was full of good works and giving alms. She was full of this. This was her very being, her very character, was one who did good works and gave money to help those in need. And we're told, the only thing we're really told about how she did this was that she made clothes, that she was a seamstress, something the world may call very ordinary. But again, God seemed to be using it in some pretty extraordinary ways. Enough that these people, when she died, they were willing to send messengers because they heard Peter was in town about 10 to 12 miles away. They were willing to send messengers to go get Peter and try and get him to come back. And it seems like they were trying to get him to do that because they hoped he was going to raise her from the dead. This woman was important enough that they, she wasn't just someone who made clothes. She's someone that for some reason they cared about enough. She was important enough to their community that they, they wanted to go get this man Peter and see if he would come back here and resurrect her. And so they send for him. Uh, we're told that when Peter arrives, that she's in this room where her body's been prepared, washed, and prepared for burial, and that she's surrounded by widows who are mourning the loss of her. Now, because of this, a lot of people assume that Tabitha was probably a widow herself, but there's actually nothing in the text that tells us that. No reason really to believe that, other than the fact these widows were all there. More likely, it's just the fact that, again, this is a woman whose life was about caring for those in need. And in her society, no more needy group than the widows. Actually still true in many parts of the world today. No more needy group than the widows. And so these are the people who most deeply felt her loss. And they are mourning her loss when Peter shows up there. We're also told about her that she was a disciple. And, and Luke, in writing this, doesn't seem to be just saying that she was a follower of Christ. He uses this term, which is kind of unique, to use, and he uses this term, seems to be highlighting the fact that she was someone, again, who was really vitally important to this community of believers in Joppa. She mattered to them. She had an important role somehow. Some assume, well, she must have been wealthy. You know, she was able to get the material to make all these clothes, to give money to help the poor. Maybe. Maybe she was just a woman who made incredible sacrifices for the sake of others. We just don't know that. What we do know is her absence was felt. She would have been deeply missed. Not because, again, she was a great teacher, a great evangelist. We're not told that she was a, a great disciple because of those things. She made clothes. She cared for the poor. And in so doing, somehow, she was vital in this mission of proclaiming the gospel. She was doing gospel work, making these clothes, caring for the poor. This is a woman who had extraordinary impact, but I think she had the kind of extraordinary impact that in a lot of ways the world would look at and say, oh, that's pretty ordinary stuff. But I think, again, from a kingdom of God perspective, she was someone who, who these ordinary acts were done in a way that connected her to the extraordinary because they were done through love, 
They were done in a way that put the spotlight on the other and the spotlight upon God. They were done in a way that was empowered by the Spirit. Matter of fact, I think even in her resurrection from the dead, this woman was called upon again to serve. That was how, how God wanted to use this woman who served well. He chose to once again ask her to step in and to serve. I was reading a commentary this week where the, the author was talking about this passage, and he was actually talking about how, um, how these miracles that Peter performed. So in the paragraph just before, he had raised Aeneas, uh, who, had been a, who was a paralytic, been bedridden for eight years, and he, he restored him to health, and he was able to walk again. And then we have this story about Tabitha. And he was saying who the beneficiaries were of those miracles, so he was kind of talking through that. And he started by just in passing making the comment, well, of course, two of the beneficiaries were Aeneas and Tabitha, of course. And I kind of read on, and then, and then I thought, wait a minute. Was Tabitha really a beneficiary of this? Was she blessed by this thing? We're not told much about her death other than the fact that she was sick and she died. So this was, obviously wasn't an instant death. So like most people, death was probably a difficult thing. It was probably a painful thing where there was some suffering involved, and then she died. And this woman, this faithful servant of Christ, no doubt would have come before her Savior, and she would have heard these beautiful, remarkable words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This woman, who now is in a place to share her master's happiness, it's kind of like the hook comes out from the side and grabs her and pulls her right back. And now she's got to come back here. And she's got to go through death again. That horrible thing. That horrible transition. I'm not sure this was a big blessing for Tabitha. But Tabitha was called back. And again, because I think this wasn't about Tabitha. This was about this Christian community. The service that she had always given, she was called back into serving again and to step in and to care for these people that needed her so much. But even more than that, I think that Tabitha was called upon to in some ways, be the canvas upon which God's glory was displayed. It wasn't so much what she was choosing to do this time. It's simply what was going to be done with her. She now was going to be somebody through whom God's glory was going to be displayed simply in the fact that she was rose again to life. And it struck me, she really was the beneficiary. She really was blessed by this. Because I think sometimes we forget what a remarkable blessing it is. Uh, how, how much it touches the very core of who we're meant to be when we get to be a part of bringing glory to God. All glory means is to magnify that when we, we are the ones who somehow we are used to put the spotlight on God, that his glory might be revealed and shine forth. That that is our, our greatest calling, our greatest privilege. That's the very thing we're made for. To know real life is to be a part of that and to know that. So I think Tabitha was blessed. Because she got to be a part of that. And we see that. We see with Aeneas when he was raised. Said that after he was raised, those in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. That somehow through what happened to him, many, many people saw the Lord and turned to him. And then we hear it again about Tabitha. This became known all over Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. Both of them in some ways became the canvas upon which God's glory was displayed. Uh, I love that. I love when that happens to us. It's not always because we are so extraordinary. It's not always because we are so remarkable. It's because we are connected to, joined with, unified with 
a remarkable, extraordinary God. And he lets us be a part of it. In fact, he will often use us to, to help others to see and to know and to understand the glorious God that he is. What a remarkable thing that is. Uh, remember the story in John 9 where Jesus is walking with his disciples and he, he's walking down the road and they pass a blind man who's on the side of the road. And this man, we're told, has been blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, and, it, and if you go through the Old Testament, this was a common way of thinking, this very kind of simplistic cause and effect understanding of things. So his disciples ask him, so, so who caused this man to be blind? Was it his own sin or was it the sin of his parents? Because somebody had to sin that he's suffered his whole life in blindness, right? And Jesus looks at them and gives an answer, which we all go, well, that's good, because he's not saying that his own personal sin or the sin of his parents causes blindness. But I can tell you, his answer doesn't make me feel all that much more comfortable, you know? Because his answer is, you know why this happened? So that he might bring glory to God. So that Christ might be glorified through him being healed. That's why this happened. And you read that story and you go, really? His whole life this man was blind and suffered blindness so that that one little moment could happen? That one little moment where that healing would happen and the glory of God would be magnified and seen. In fact, later in the story we see that that one little moment did result in that man turning to Christ and accepting him as his Lord and Savior. It did change his whole life. And I'll bet that one moment changed the lives of many others. I think we forget again how remarkable it is that we even get to participate in a moment of God being glorified. It is the very core of our purpose. It's the very thing we're about. It's what brings meaning to our life. We think it's almost a nice extra. It's what we're about. And if we really want to know life, a full and abundant life, that's where it's found. A common conversation I'll have, and I don't say this easily because I'm talking about people who many times are in situations I don't know what I would do in them. But a common conversation I'll have with people is where sometimes in a very difficult marriage, and it's, and it's a marriage a lot of times where it's not that where the other, where their partner has in some way clearly violated the covenant of their marriage, but it's a hard marriage. It's a marriage where they don't know a lot of joy or a lot of satisfaction. And it's hard day-to-day living in that situation. Matter of fact, I think it's one of the hardest things sometimes we're called to do. And I've known courageous people who have, who have done that well. Because sometimes that's a hard calling. But a, a comment I've heard many times throughout my ministry are people saying to me, and sometimes out of desperation, saying, surely God could not be calling me to stay in something that is so unsatisfying. It so robs my joy. Surely he could not be calling me to do that. And it's a hard answer to give, but it's an answer I believe deeply. Is that yes, actually, I think God could call us to walk a path that's hard. A very difficult path, a sometimes painful path. I think yes, he could do that. Knowing that that's hard for us. But because in so doing, we actually bring glory to him. That yes... Matter of fact, what I can often say is, I truly do believe that if that is the path God's calling you to, no matter how difficult it is, it is the path that will lead to the most full and abundant life for you, not just for others. Because it's what you're meant for. You're meant to be somebody, be someone who first and foremost brings glory to God. Anything less will not be what you hope it would be. It's what you're meant for. Now, I talk about the marriage, but we face that in all kinds of situations in life, right? All kinds of situations where it's, you know, God, my, my happiness has to be the first thing. 
And I actually want to say, actually, I think God cares about our happiness. But he knows our happiness is tied to his glory. It's where it's most to be found. C.S. Lewis wrote this. The Scottish Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then, but we shall then know that these are the same thing. We shall then know these are the same thing, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And I would add to that, not only do we glorify him when we enjoy him, we come to truly enjoy life and him and everything we're meant to be when we glorify him. They're intimately bound together. It's where real life is to be found. So let's move on to another person in the story, Peter. So you say, well, Tabitha, in a case where God took that which is ordinary and revealed the extraordinary through her. Now, Peter, you might be tempted to say, well, he's a pretty extraordinary guy, right? I mean, Peter was a guy who was probably a great teacher, a leader of a great movement, and Peter's performing miracles. That's pretty much an attention grabber, right? You start raising people who are paralyzed up to walk, you raise the dead. People are probably saying, you're a pretty special guy. And you go, well, Peter was extraordinary, but Peter's extraordinary in the way anybody would say is extraordinary, right? And I think that's one of the dangers, actually. One of the dangers is that when we follow Christ, and Christ actually does extraordinary things through us, one of the dangers is we can quickly start thinking the source is us, right? That it begins and ends with us. And the odd thing is, if we do that, we disconnect ourselves from the thing that truly made this extraordinary. It becomes ordinary again. It becomes ordinary because it becomes temporary. It becomes something that only puts the spotlight on us. It becomes so much less than it could be, and the impact is so much less than it could be. And remember who Peter was. Peter was a fisherman that Jesus plucked off a boat. Uh, Peter was a guy who had some immaturity. He had his impulsive moments, right? He wasn't a guy who always had it together. Uh, Peter was a guy who failed pretty miserably. I mean, at that moment, that you don't want to look back on and say you failed, right? Your Savior is on the cross dying for you, and three times you turn your back on him and deny him. We talk about that all the time, but think how deeply that must have hurt to look back on that moment and think about how, how I failed the one who loved me so well. Think how that must have ached. This is a man who knew failure, who had his limits, a man who in some ways was pretty ordinary. And this man, God took, and thousands of people are coming to know Christ as a result of his preaching. Uh, this is a man who God is using to do miracles. It would be pretty tempting to start saying, you know what? I am a pretty special guy. Look at all that's happening around me. And to lose sight of why such extraordinary things are truly happening. And I love Peter because I think he's a real model to us of even when God does exceptional things through us, how we still walk that path that makes sure that we stay connected to what is truly extraordinary. When you see him healing Aeneas, performing that miracle on Aeneas, Peter says this, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Jesus did it. Makes the point. It wasn't me. Jesus did it. And somehow people got that, right? I mean, it wasn't just he said it in that moment. He must have said that in ways and, and lived that out in ways that people truly got it. Because what happened in Lydda and Sharon? People were all turning to the Lord, not turning to Peter. And then you see Tabitha being healed. 
And we're told that Peter uh, went into the room where she was and sent them all away. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And you say, well, I don't know if he pointed to Jesus here. I actually think in both those miracles, he pointed to Jesus in some ways that are actually kind of subtle to us, but maybe clearer to those followers of Christ at that time. Because even when he raised Aeneas, he uses words that were very similar to the words that Jesus used um, after the man was lowered through the roof by his friends, the paralytic man, and Jesus healed him. Jesus later spoke those same words, the same words that Peter uses when he asks this man to, to raise up and to take his mat. And when, he, when he's healing Tabitha, uses the same words and the same actions that Jesus used when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Again, even in the way he did it and the words he spoke, it's like he's an echo saying, this is Jesus. This is Jesus doing it. I'm, I'm here. It's through me. But that same Jesus who did it then is the same Jesus who's doing it now. And the only difference with Tabitha than, than the way Jesus raised Jairus' daughter was Jesus just went in and spoke those words. Peter got down on his knees and prayed first because it wasn't coming from Peter. It was coming from Christ and through Christ. He was simply a vehicle through which Christ worked. And when I say just a vehicle, I don't mean he was kind of a bystander. He became a vital part of the exceptional, extraordinary work of God. God invited him into it. Uh, and I love about Peter is he didn't try to steal God's glory when it happened. He kept pointing the attention back where the attention belonged. I, for 27 years, have been in churches that are uh, full of some pretty remarkable people. Uh, my last church was in the shadow of Yale, and most of you know I've been here 25 years, and uh, two academic communities. And one of the things about academic communities, I remember my son once saying about uh, sports, he said, where else are you going to go to school where you've got state champ football team, you've got state champ basketball team, you've got... It's like, man, alive, how do you compete in this place, you know? Well, this is a place with people with some remarkable talents and skills and abilities and gifts. Uh, and I love that about this place. I, I, love, I love the remarkable gifts and talents that God has blessed many of you with. There are people in this church who have minds that visit heights that my brain would get a nosebleed going to, you know? There are people in this church that have musical talents that I can only imagine. Uh, people with athletic abilities, people with business uh, skills. And the list could just go on and on. And over the years, just been exposed to a lot of people that anyone in the world would say, those are extraordinarily gifted people who are doing great things. And again, I don't want to take away from that or diminish it because I think it's true and I love it. But one thing I've seen over those 27 years is that I have seen people with extraordinary gifts and abilities and remarkable resources, and I've seen them use those in what I would say are very ordinary ways that put the spotlight on them and had a very temporary impact. And I've seen people with incredible gifts and talents and resources who I would say have joined the extraordinary in the way they've lived them out. And man, what a, what a great, remarkable thing that is. I don't think the issue here is um, how impressive your gifts are, how many talents you have, or the, how many resources you have, it's really not what's important. What's important is, are you, they going to be just about you? Or are you going to use them in the way they're meant to be used? We are meant to be a diverse congregation with many different gifts. It's God's design. This isn't some who's better. It's the way we were designed. 
The question is, do we get that? And are we going to live that out? Are we going to take whatever he's given us and say, if I submit this to God, whatever I have can accomplish extraordinary things? Because God's doing it, and God's in it, and it'll be to his glory. John 15 says this, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You say, well, people are doing all kinds of things. Apart from me, you can do nothing that truly, truly is extraordinary. We need God in it for that to happen. One last character in this story that I want to draw your attention to is a guy at the end that you probably skip over pretty quick. Verse 43. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And we just kind of skip over that and keep moving. But when I stopped and looked at it, I thought, a tanner named Simon. I know what a tanner is. a guy who takes the hides of animals and tans them, right? Well, as I've got reading, it turns out that in a lot of ancient Jewish writings, they point out that tanners were actually a despised people. People did not like them uh, in Jewish communities. And, and largely they didn't like them because they were people in constant contact with dead animals, which made them ritually unclean. So they were kind of people looked down upon and pushed aside. The other reason was they tended to stink. It was a stinky profession. Uh, and so these were smelly people with smelly places of business, and they were pushed to the outskirts of town. People didn't really want to deal with them. Now think about Peter. Peter has been a part of this remarkable miracle with Aeneas, where he's raised up after eight years bedridden, and now he can walk. Tabitha has raised from the dead. Again, hundreds of people probably coming to know Christ as Savior. Peter's in the middle of all this. Do you think Peter's going to have a hard time finding a place to stay? Do you think that's his problem? Do you think he couldn't ask anybody in the Christian community, or probably anyone in the community anywhere, and he wouldn't have a place to stay, that doors wouldn't be open to him? But for some reason, Peter chose to stay with Simon the Tanner as he stayed in that area. And it struck me again, if we truly understand how ordinary we are apart from the work of God and apart from what he's doing and his power and his presence, if we truly get that, suddenly we start looking at everybody around us a lot differently, don't we? Suddenly they are people who have just as much, power, just as much potential to be a part of the extraordinary as we are. They are people who have just as much potential to be used for God to do great things as we do. No difference. Because it really isn't about how special they are. It's about how special God is who will work through them. Uh, I had a situation for a couple of years where, um, where I was responsible for supervising a, a, a visit between a parent and a child. And so I would do this every other week for five hours. So for five hours, I would have to just be there to supervise it. And most of those visits took place over at the mall and the food court. So about every other Sunday for about five hours, I would either sit in the mall food court or sometimes I'd go sit in Jumpin' Joey's, which was absolutely the worst experience of my life. <laughs> I preferred the mall food court over Jumpin' Joey's by far. Uh, matter of fact, I never, ever want to return to Jumpin' Joey's, in case any of you think of inviting me there. Uh, but many, many hours in the food court. It gets pretty boring sitting in a food court. Five hours is a long time to sit around in a food court. I bring books and read, but after a while that just got old, you know, so I'd read for a while. I would say the bulk of my time sitting in that food court was spent just watching people walk around, watching people. 
and my mind would run all kinds of crazy places. I was kind of the mall stalker. I just kind of stalked people <laughs> as they walked around. And I got a lot of strange looks like I was a mall stalker. Mothers would take their children around me and things, especially at Jumpin' Joey. Be a guy my age sitting in a booth by yourself at Jumpin' Joey. See what happens. But I would just watch people. And I would kind of imagine, I would imagine things like, who are they? What's their life about? What do they struggle with? What do they enjoy? What do they do for a living? Sometimes my mind would run to things like, God, what are you thinking about when you look at this person? How do you feel about them? What do you hope for them? What are you fighting for in their life? And my mind would run through these things and run through these things. And that all sounds wonderful and beautiful, but the, the thing I found often there was that I also made a lot of assumptions as I sat and imagined. A whole lot of assumptions based on a lot of silly things about, well, here's the kind of person they are. Here's what they think and what they do. Here's their potential. Because again, I found I was constantly being drawn back to evaluating the people around me based on the standards of my world. It was just so natural and so common and so easy to do. If we really understand how ordinary we are apart from Christ, how remarkable it is that Christ would step in, choose us, and choose to do the remarkable things he does through us, I think we would look around and see others differently, just like Peter did. I think we are all meant to be people who are part of something extraordinary. We're meant for it. And Scripture tells us the path to it is take on the attitude that's that of Christ, an attitude of love, an attitude of humility and obedience, an attitude that puts the spotlight on others and the spotlight on our God. It's a longing I think is meant to be filled, but in a way that's different than we kind of naturally are drawn to. Let's pray. Father, those times that we get stuck in thinking about ourselves as being less than we long to be, or, Father, those times that we get caught up in thinking we are more than we really are. I pray, Father, that in either of those times you would help us to get our eyes off ourselves and to remember you and to see you. Because, Lord, when we see you, when we see your glory, we can't help but praise you. Uh, we do serve a remarkable, extraordinary, exceptional God, and how thankful we are that let you let us join your good purposes. In your blessed name, amen.